Kamash Solutions family, partners, and friends, how is everyone holding up? I was in conversation the other day with a good mate of mine regarding how the speed of life seems to just accelerate when there's a lot going on. And then we then debated on how we could make sure we slowed it down enough to smell the roses. Nonetheless, in typical male fashion, the conversation ended with no real solution. With his closing remarks along the lines of, I guess who gives a flying monkey about it anyway? And they got me thinking, what does that even mean? Who gives a flying monkey? Well, I'm glad that she asked. The term flying monkey is another way of saying abuse of proxy or having someone else do the bidding of in the case of a narcissist. The term flying monkey was coined after the flying monkeys in the Wizard of Oz that were under the spell of the Wicked Witch of the East to do her bidding against Dorothy and her friends. This common narcissistic tactic uses friends and family of the victim to spy on them, spreading gossip while painting a narcissist as the victim of their target as the perpetrator. Flying monkeys can be your friends, family, co-workers, or the narcissist's friends, family, or co-workers before you got there. To maintain the illusion of the power they have over you, the narcissist will employ the use of a third party through which they will attempt to continue to control and manipulate you. So in conclusion, there are things and there's times in life where it's just better not knowing what the hell they mean. Anyhow, this is Andy Erickson, your host of the award-nominated podcast, Smart Acids, where we let borons be borons. And I'm here with the mortal to my pestle, Heartbreaker Chris Ernst. Heartbreaker, my man. How are you holding up these days? Doing great, Andy. How about yourself? You know, you know what? I'm doing all right. Thanks for asking, buddy. Anyway, Heartbreaker, we're doing something super special on today's episode. We are going to be bringing in an external partner of ours and get the high-level lowdown on what's happening in the aggregate chemical distribution arena, as well as we have a guest host, Dwayne Rourke, the self-proclaimed rock, who is our vice president of public affairs, government relations, and communications. Dwayne, welcome. How you doing, bud? Oh, doing good, Andy. Thanks for uh, letting me uh, crash this one uh, this one podcast, and uh, congratulations on the award nomination. I know you mentioned it there in your intro, uh, and let's hope for a win, right? There will be a win. There will be a win. Talk to us a little bit before we get at this. Um, the Rock, who coined you and you know decided to call you The Rock? <laughs> well, you know, with the last name of Rourke and a first name of Dwayne, um, you know, the beloved actor, Dwayne, the rock Johnson, the one and only rock. Um, I, I actually get that a lot. And it, it actually started up probably about five years ago, a, a work colleague at another, another, another company, another, another time, another era. Uh, he, he refused to call me, uh, by my actual name. He just called me the rock, um, because he thought it was just so hilarious that uh, my last name was Rourke and it was just so close, you know? Uh, so it, it, it's just one of those things that uh, kind of sticks and, and pops up every now and now and then. So thanks for bringing it up again. That's great. It's kind of sounds like it's similar to how Heartbreaker got his nickname from an old coworker. And, but let's not get into that. <laughs> well, welcome, Dwayne. This is awesome. Anyway, let's get at it and let's give it a tasty. It's a true honor to bring in our next guest. A wise man once told me to surround yourself with smart people, and I've lived up to this model, hence the reason I'm here with the Heartbreaker. But our next guest is one of the industry's brightest. He wakes up every day battling in the trenches for our industry. He's our very own Cato the Younger. It's our friend and partner, Eric, the filibuster buyer. Eric, how you doing? 
I'm doing well, Lenny. Thanks for the introduction. I got to get you to start writing some more of my promos. <laughs> well, it's going to cost you, but we'll see what we can do. Talk to us a little bit, uh, Eric. Give us a little background on what makes up Eric and, you know, what's the role you play with the NACD or the National Association of Chemical Distributors? Sure. So I, uh, I'm a Jersey boy. So as I like to say, I'm from uh, outside New York City, grew up there, came down here about uh, almost 30 years ago. And um, it got into the, the the legislative bug. I think the thing that got me interested in politics overall is I got to meet President Bush 41 on the White House lawn. He was taken off in a helicopter and actually came back around, landed and met my class when I was doing a two week deal at American University. And from there, it just kind of became history. It's what I always wanted to do. So I worked on Capitol Hill, did some trade association work. And for the last 10 years, I've had the fortune of running an ACD. So for us, it's been a real passion and thrill to get out there every day, talk to the good guys and the bad guys, and then focus on things that are important to folks like Univar and other chemical distribution companies around the country and the world globally at this point. It doesn't matter what it is. It could be rail policy, tax issues, healthcare, you name it, we're covering it. And so for us, it's just a, it's a real, it's a really cool thing for me because it's been where my passion has been my entire life since I met President Bush. And it's something that I continue to do every day and nothing is ever boring in Washington, D.C. All right, before we get into talk and shop, we're hoping that you play a game with us, Eric. Pretty straightforward. We're going to give you a description of a fictional leader, and you just need to let us know the name of this fictional leader. All right, this character is regarded as a villain in the popular Oliver Stone movie, Wall Street, and its 2010 sequel, Wall Street, Money Never Sleeps, known for his famous quote, greed is good. And I'm supposed to name the character? We'll, we'll accept actor, too, if you know who the actor is. Am I supposed to make up a name? <laughs> oh, it's, oh, God, it's, uh, I can see him. Do I need to do a Google search while I'm doing this? We, we, we aren't limiting your internet access, so. His initials are M-D. M-D. Yeah, I, was, I, was, I, was, I can't remember the guy's name. Starts with an M, ends in Eichel Douglas. Michael Douglas. <laughs> Michael <laughs> Douglas. I'm thinking, I wasn't thinking Michael Douglas. I'm thinking Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't know why I was thinking that. Oh, for one. There we go. Folks need to know Gordon Gecko is the name of the character in the movie. All right, Eric, number two. This billionaire industrialist is a founding member of the Avengers. A brash, brilliant innovator describes himself as a genius, billionaire, playboy, and philanthropist. Uh, my children will kill me if I didn't know this. Tony Stark. Boom. Well done, well done. He is mostly evil, devious, greedy, a wealthy owner of Springfield's nuclear power plant, by extension, Homer Simpson's boss. Mr. Burns. Solid. Well done. I, I had a makeup for the first one. That was terrible. Question four, Eric. Born in 1938 to abject poverty in Dundee, Scotland, he ascended to become billionaire founder of media and entertainment conglomerate Waystar Royco. Oh, God. Ugh. Hint, HBO Succession. I don't watch HBO Succession. That's the sad part. So there you go. You got a little intel in my life about going to bed at 9 o'clock at night and not paying attention to things. <laughs> Uh, God, I don't know. I don't know. Logan Roy. Yeah, I would never. I should have known that, but I don't. Succession's a pretty good show, Eric. I know. I only want. I, I literally watched the first half hour of it, and then I fell asleep. So clearly, it was not good. <laughs> uh, all right, enough of this. Let's talk shop. Um, appreciate you. Appreciate you joining. We gave him what two and a half out of four. All right, two and a half. That's a solid score. Solid score. All right. Talk to us a little bit, Eric. What's the most critical policy or issue facing our industry today, and how is NACD playing its part? Well, uh, Andy, there are a lot of policy issues that we're trying to tackle, but I think the biggest issue that we have to, to deal with on a daily basis here in Washington is just the political attitude and demeanor of everybody that's out there. 
people are just not nice to each other, uh, unfortunately. There used to be a time back when I was on Capitol Hill in the mid-90s where my boss, who was investigating the President of the United States, had to do with that whole uh, Travelgate, Whitewater stuff that was going on back in the 90s. And, you know, he would bring in the President of the United States and he had the First Lady and the Chief Counsel and they would go at each other. But the thing was, is that at the end of the day, they were still getting along. They were still, you know, somewhat friendly. I tell you, the ranking member that he was the chair with, he go and have dinner with, you know, the, the spouse. They got along. They could, they could stand. They could start. Hey, at the end of the day, we're done. We're going to go out and be friendly. We are friends. That kind of thing. In today's world, it's totally different. It's, it's people are at each other's throats. They don't care if they're affecting other people in their personal lives. They'll take pot shots at spouses and kids and stuff like that. And. And that's hard. Uh, and so what that does for us is it makes it really challenging to say, hey, on the issues that are important to our members, so it could be tax reform, it could be health care, it could be CFATs, rail reform, whatever it may be, you've got to be really careful how you introduce the issue, how it impacts your members and make sure you have a good type message because at any time people are looking to jump on your throats because politically they don't want to be that next sound bite that's on Twitter or LinkedIn or Facebook or you know wherever it's going to be. And next thing you know, it becomes that, that issue becomes twice as challenging to, to overcome. Yeah, thanks, Eric. So let's let's maybe stick with the rail. Where does the Railway Safety Act sit from your perspective? First of all, we've never had any love for the railroads. As you guys know, the railroads have constantly been a pain in the neck for our industry and others for, for decades. I was talking to some members late last summer, early last fall. A number of them get their product via public use rail yards, terminals, and they have a close relationship. Some guys go out and buy them lunch on Fridays, bring them donuts and coffee just to keep them happy because they're always struggling with management for the class one railroads. So I said, this is crazy. They're sitting there having this fight about shutting down the whole rail system because the rail workers can't get a sick day. It seems stupid. The national average for anybody who works for a private you know, company, it's about seven to eight sick days you get over, uh, every year. And I'm like, this is crazy. So I, I wrote an op-ed and I put it out there. I said, look, there's no reason why we should not be supporting the unions and them getting their fair amount of sick days, seven to eight, like the national average is. Right? Fair is fair. Let's let's treat these folks as we should. I mean, since Precision Scheduled Railroading came in, the union workforce, the railroads have dropped by out of 150,000 people. They dropped by 30,000 uh, historic lows, that whole thing. I'm like, this is this is not the way to incentivize a key aspect of the workforce when you really need them to be doing things for, for our members. So I wrote an op-ed, did my stream of consciousness, uh, staff curtailed it a little bit without the swear words, and then uh, got it published and um, got a number of different inquiries. And then one day I got an email from the chief of staff for Sanders saying, hey, the senator wants to talk to you. And this is about two days before Thanksgiving. He and I got on the phone for about 45 minutes. He's quizzing me and just asking me, why? 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 What are you doing? What are you doing? And I just told him, I said, hey, look, there's a union presence at these rail yards. We're important to our members. We want to see they get taken care of because it benefits them. It benefits us. And it's the right thing to do. And so he's like, you're the only pro-business lobbyist that I know in town that is willing to go to bat with me on this. And he said, can we partner? I said, absolutely. Uh, and so we took it fast forward. Two weeks later, there was the whole let's get this whole railroad mess squared away so we don't have a strike and shut down the entire supply chain. And there was a bill to get that handled, but there was also a bill to increase the amount of sick days um, to, I think, seven. And so we had an amendment that Sanders introduced and we were able to secure about six different Republicans. But unfortunately, the threshold in the Senate 60 votes. And so we got, I think it up 54, 55 and we didn't get it passed. But all the Democrats and six Republicans got on it. And it was pretty clear that there was a lot of momentum. So while it didn't pass that day, what has happened since then over the last four or five months, because of all the public outcry and the pressure on all the shareholders at both at all the class one railroads, out of the 12 unions, a majority are now getting three to five sick days just because of public pressure, because of that effort that was happening back uh, late last fall or late last uh, winter. It worked. Uh, I did a press conference with the 
all the major rail union guys and the senator uh, about a month and a half ago. Talked to his staff regularly on this, and it's not an issue that's going to go away anytime soon. We can certainly see ourselves being aligned on this issue, if nothing else, to to push back on the railroads. And I can tell you, he's supportive, certainly, of some of the reforms that are going to be likely taken into consideration by Congress on the East Palestine accident as well. So, so tell us the story a little bit. Uh, when we first kind of t- touched base, you were talking about going to Bernie Sanders, uh, feeling the burn a little bit, but you're actually supporting a cause. And he almost was shocked that you were supporting him. I got to tell you, we, you know, there the, all the memes of Sanders and all that stuff like that. If you ever want somebody that deeply cares about an issue and is willing to go to bat for you, whether you agree with him or not, I can tell you, I don't agree with Bernie Sanders, probably 95% of things he does. He deeply cares about his issues and he's willing to go to bat for you if you're willing to align with him. And that, that's something that can't be said for a lot of members of the Senate and the House. Awesome. Thanks. Let's let's pivot slightly. So from your perspective, what are the key industry trends that you see we need to tackle? It's a mess right now, Chris. You had the original bill. There's been a whole lot of politicking behind the scenes. The problem is, is that a lot of Republicans don't like the bill. And you've got J.D. Vance who came in. He's He got you know elected by a decent chunk of change and he got the president, uh, president Trump to support. Him. And so he's a very conservative, you know, MAGA, if you want to call him that Republican. But he's aligning himself with Sherrod Brown, who's a fairly liberal Democrat from Ohio, and then a whole bunch of other Democrats from Pennsylvania. And the legislation that they're working on makes sense. It's some of the stuff that I think a lot of us in the, this industry and other industries want to see done. And so we're hoping it'll get done. But right now, I can tell you they're having a markup next week. And there are a lot of changes that they're trying to push that Republicans want. And a lot of the industry groups that are not happy with it because the railroads are constantly getting their way are pushing back. So we'll see. We'll see what, what ends up happening. But there will be something, I think, that will happen between now and the summertime. And I think it'll be mostly good. There are probably some things that will be curtailed because the railroads will get cranky about it. But I think ultimately there will be some kind of rail reform legislation this summer. All right. Enough talking about problems and politics. Eric, talk to us. Let's pivot to NACD. What's going on and you know how do people stay up to date and get involved? Well, we have lots going on. One of the great things since COVID has kind of, I want to call it, ended. We're back and going crazy on events. So we've got lots of events coming up. It's the time of year we kick off with our various regional meetings and goes through to our operations event called ChemEdge in August through our annual meeting. We've got some great speakers this year for our annual meeting. I don't know if they're public yet, but why not? We'll reveal it. You guys get the first tidbit on this. We're going to do a whole bunch of cool speakers, but... Uh, we're going to have Joe Lieberman, a former senator from Connecticut, and then former House Speaker John Boehner kind of do a little crossfire action where I'll be the one in the middle and we'll kind of pose questions to him. So it should be a kind of a fun time to, to do that at our annual meeting. So lots of events going on. So we're looking forward to seeing everybody. The one thing that I know you guys are involved in and a lot of others that I always encourage our people to, to learn more about is our Emerging Leaders Program. It's a great effort. And we are really trying to break away and get kids that are coming up in the companies that are going to be taking over for their parents or the next group of leaders to interact with other peers in the industry. So we have an event called uh, our Emerging Leaders Meet four times a year. And those events allow them to learn about leadership and operations and finance and successions, stuff like that. So lots of things go. So I think for us, getting our members active again, since the the COVID lull and and they're out there doing things is great. I'm excited to have more events in person again, uh, get more active. We have our Washington fly-in next week. We have over 100 people registered, which is awesome because we get to cover half of Congress in a 24-hour period. Pound for pound, no one does that like we do in Washington. That's great. So lots of exciting things going on. Well, one thing, Eric, if you wouldn't mind expanding a little bit and, and, you know, let me just say, uh, we always appreciate everything that NACD does for obviously the chemical distribution industry, but the chemical industry as a whole as well. And I think talking about environmental justice, obviously important, very real issue, right? No, No two ways around it. 
NACD has a program called Responsible Distribution, which I think uh, a lot of our listeners are aware of, that really incorporates and encompasses a lot of aspects of environmental justice. So how can perhaps, you know, those that are in compliance with Responsible Distribution, how can they perhaps best position themselves highlighting that program to showcase everything that is being done that falls underneath this uh, particular area of definition? Thanks, Wayne. Yeah, I, I think the biggest part of talking about environmental justice and 12 different codes that we have is the code that we, you're supposed to be tied into the local community. So, I, again, I go back to that because you've got to make sure that these communities understand who you are, what you do, and how you're not the devil incarnate. Part of that is going to be embracing the idea of inviting in local fire department, law enforcement, sheriff's department, whoever it's going to be, along with your city council or your local boards, whatever they be, bring them in, get them to understand who you are, meet your employees, walk through the warehouse, talk about what you do and the ingredients that you provide and what they go into in everyday lives, products uh, for the American you know, citizen, if you will. Those types of things are, are critical. So that while there's 12 codes that can focus on storage and handling and safety and security uh, as part of responsible distribution, the most important thing that I see coming out of our responsible distribution effort with everything they do, it all ties into that one really key aspect of the community tying into saying, hey, these member companies are really good companies. They're trying to do things right. They're not the bad actors that are out there on the cheap that are going to be the next black mark on the industry. They're trying to do things right. and We should be there to support them, not shut them down. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I think what we're highlighting here is just a simple matter of the intersection between business and community, which is nothing new. And I think it's really our responsibility, along with our industry partners' responsibility, to listen to all viewpoints there. But let's just keep it positive, right? I think that's probably the main piece of um, general understanding that we want to have uh, really showcased across not only our industry, but across society as a whole, is that you know, we as a s- industry are here to help. And uh, we want to obviously continue uh, helping in our local communities as we have been. And uh, yeah, we're always looking for opportunities to grow. No, I think you're absolutely right. And I, the positive part of this too is something that will change the tide when it comes to the emotional aspect of this. Because sometimes people start talking about the environment, they become deeply passionate and somewhat irrational. And so by being positive, you're right. It can definitely change people's opinions to certainly the advantage that you, you want in your house, which is a good solid working relationship with that local community that's not going to turn on you. So yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Eric. So final question for you here. If there was one takeaway you would want our listeners to have from this conversation, what would that be? I've always maintained that what you put into things is what you get out of it and it doesn't go any different for a trade association or the members that work in it. You guys, and I, I say this not tongue in cheek, I say this legitimately, are one of our best members, not because of the size and the scope and all that you do, but how much effort you put into participating in NACD. You know, all of our, you know, a lot of our top members do that. They see the value. So coming to the flying like Andy is, or participating in our board like Dwayne is, or going out there and doing regional events, or inviting your members of Congress to your facilities to do a tour so they understand better who the chemical distribution industry is. Those things are really important. So I'd encourage everybody, if they're going to get one thing come out of this conversation, from politics to economics to social issues to whatever it may be, get involved because that's how you change people's opinions and that's how you get actual decisions to be changed in ways where you want them changed. If you want to have an effect or an impact on making things change, one of the best ways to do is, is get off the couch and go do things. Get out there and be active. Uh, participate in groups where you can have a say and you can change local decisions. Those things really do make a difference. Those types of things are really important. So that's what I always counsel people to do is don't sit on your hands and complain. Get up and do something about it. All right. Now, now, We've already had one Marvel reference for this podcast, so I'm going to introduce another one. And for our viewing, our listening audience, if you have to go through your Marvel library to get this reference, watch Endgame, right? So, like, Thanos 
you know, he used the stones to destroy the stones. So that's Avengers Endgame for people in the MCU. You can go reference it. So, but now we're going to use the podcast to promote the podcast. And so, Eric, I know you're doing this as well. The podcast is called Kim Line. Take it away. Here's your plug. So, yes, we started Kim Line. Thank you for that. The, the shameless plug. Um, we're doing it a couple times a month. It's very issue centric. So uh, we've focused on super fun, which is not sexy, but it's a tax issue that's important. So every month we're going to be focusing on a core issue that's important to our members. It could be policy related. It could be business operations, whatever it may be. Our next one's going to be on rail and we may have some interesting politicians that we discussed coming on board to answer some questions on rail policy. We're trying to be like you guys. We're doing it short and sweet, 20 minutes, a couple Q and A's. You get to hear my Tom Brokaw voice narrating and we go out and ask some people some questions. They give us their 10 cents and then off we go. But uh, yeah, we're out there on all the various platforms and hope you'll love uh, listening on Kim All right, everybody, that's a wrap on this month's episode. A big thank you to Eric for his time and insight today, and thanks for all his efforts for the NACD and the chemical industry more broadly. As always, thanks to all of our listeners. We hope you enjoyed this month's episode of the Smart Acids, and please keep a watch out for next month's episode. Thanks. Smart Acids, breaking things down for the chemicals and specialty ingredients market, one born at a time. Smart Acids is part of the Univar Solutions Podcast Network.